I'm Lonnie Hirsch, co-founder of Healthcare Success Strategies, and our guest today is Mark Save, Senior Healthcare Strategist with Gresham Smith & Partners. Mark works with hospitals on strategy development, business planning, service line development, and market positioning. Mark is also an industry authority on future demand in healthcare and is the author of This Is Not a Drill, The Real Emergency for American Hospitals and a Battle Plan for Survival. Mark will be speaking at the annual conference of the Society for Healthcare Strategy and Market Development of the American Hospital Association in Chicago on September 30th on the topic, Healthcare 2014, the Tipping Point Year to Transformation. Mark, thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you, Lonnie. I appreciate the opportunity. I imagine that it's challenging to be a futurist in the rapidly evolving arena of healthcare reform. Uh, for example, just a couple of weeks ago, the Obama administration announced that there would be a deferral to 2015 on penalties for employers with 50 or more employees who do not provide health care insurance to their employees. Can you give us some examples of what is predictable in terms of 2014 and what is still a moving target? That's a good question, Lonnie. Um, I'll start by saying even with the, t the deferral um, to 2015, on the penalty for employers with more than 50 FTEs, 2014 will still be a tipping point year. We still have meaningful use being rolled out, implemented, and reimbursed. Uh, we still have the Medicaid expansion. We still have the insurance exchanges coming up. And those, that's just to name a few of the big ones. We also have lots of little tiny initiatives that are rolling out as well. And in, you know, in any given quarter or year, we're going to have some uh, dips and some uh, some tough uh, little programs, and certainly some some postponement. But a lot of the other things are they're working hard. And um, although some see it as a positive to do this postponement because there's so many things coming online, um, unfortunately, others um, see it see the deferral as actually a weakness in the Affordable Care Act imp implementation. Um, they continue, uh, I guess I'm talking about certain members of Congress, continue to talk about repealing Obamacare and starting over. Uh, and I don't see that embraced by any of the large major health care systems in our country. They're all preparing for its rollout and implementation, and 2014 will be that big year. Um, I, let me just, two more things. With the specifics of the um, Medicaid expansion, for example, uh, most people don't realize that today we have 55 million Americans on Medicaid, and the expansion um, will add, or could add potentially, another 10 million people. But we only have 28 states right now committed to the Medicaid expansion. 14 are um, definitely not participating as of today's date. And then we have the others somewhere in between, leaning one way or the other, kind of uh, laying back and seeing how things play out. Okay. Well, how would you see hospitals being impacted by the new health care insurance exchanges in the states that have taken on that role and as well as the states that have deferred to the federal government to manage their state's health care exchanges? They represent two directions philosophically. Um, that old adage about you're either part of the solution or, or part of the problem, I think holds true in this case. Um, those 
states, and, it, and in some ways there's a uh, certainly an alignment with the uh, rollout of the Medicaid expansion. I mean, who's in, who feels positive about it, who's supportive of it? Uh, those are certainly the states that have embraced um, taking on their own health insurance exchanges, and we'll run it, and we'll do a good job. And the other states that have, are in opposition probably to the Affordable Care Act in its entirety, and um, this is another way to say, oh, we're not participating. So if you want to do a health in insurance exchange in our state, you'll have to come in and run it, you, you federal guys. Um, what's, but, you know, it's looking very positive right now. Um, and, but even if some of the health insurance exchanges are not up and running by October 1st, the date they're supposed to be um, online for people to begin shopping, there's still a couple of months there to get a few things straightened out. And I, again, I don't think a lot of people realize half of the young adults, um, which is a big part of the uninsured, in the 18 to 35-year-old age group, historically, they didn't feel they needed health insurance, certainly. Uh, but getting these groups insured, and they will have uh, subsidies to help them, um, how do I want to put this? Half of the young adults that are uninsured, and, and by that I mean the 18 to 35-year-olds, are in three states, and that's Florida, California, and Texas. And it's going to be very interesting to watch how smoothly the sign-up goes or the implementation of the insurance exchanges. We have California in one corner that's very committed uh, and supportive. Um, Texas is in the opposition mode, you know, we're not, um, we're not running any health insurance exchanges here. Federal government's going to do that. And Florida is somewhere in the middle, although the governor is, is now in support of, of the Medicaid expansion, there still is a, uh, we'll call that a divided state, if you will, politically or even in terms of support um, for and against the Affordable Care Act. What do you see hospitals doing uh in preparing for their role in uh, in uh, new uh, enrollees to the healthcare exchanges. Well, that and and um, also with regard to the Medicaid expansion, you have this population out there that historically did not have insurance. So, step one, I guess, in in uh, my mind, is to set up sign up your eligible uh, population. Set up um, the mechanisms, the portals, the, the stations, if you will, to move people from that self-pay, no-pay designation um, to having insurance. And yes, you might still have to be selling it a tad, but um, I, you know, I think it's not going to be a hard sell once we, we hopefully get to see some of these pricing structures. Um, we are talking about hospitals doing some advertising and some... Um, so we'll call them assist stations or something in the community, and maybe even in the ED as people come in and, and you find out they don't have insurance. If you're in a state that's expanding or one with um, the insurance exchanges, you're going to probably have to help some of these um, people sign up. And if you could do it right there in the ER and get them signed up, um, that would that would be a very positive thing. Um, a couple other quick things on that. I, I think hospitals need to acknowledge there's only one way to make money under Medicaid, and it's um, not by putting people in the hospital or treating them in the ED. They have to keep them 
out of the emergency department and out of the hospital. Um, that's the only way they're going to, otherwise the margin's moving in the wrong direction. And I guess if they really want to be progressive, um, the last item would be they need to go after some grant money and start some pilots and set up some of those accountable care initiatives to keep that Medicaid population healthy, maybe a little, uh, and certainly wiser with regard to their own health and what's in the community, that it's more cost-effective and more convenient than the hospital or the emergency department. Okay. How do you see hospitals adapting and playing a relevant role in changing the focus um, uh, from, you know, acute care to more population health management and ambulatory care networks? That's another really good question. And I, I think, again, it's it's the it's the changing role of the of the healthcare provider and the progressive ones um who are ahead of the curve or at least traveling with the curve recognize they have two roles now on the one hand they need to be the highly efficient acute care provider where the margins in the hospital are going down but they're going to be rewarded for quality and where throughput is the new measure of success because we're going to utilize this acute care hospital asset in a much more efficient way, and it'll it'll continue to maintain a margin for us, even in this declining uh, incremental basis. At the same time, they have a dual role, and their other role that should take up an almost an equal amount of their time, and that's the population health management. It's a legitimate question to ask, and we do when we're doing strategic planning, what does the ambulatory care network look like here? in the year 2020 or or pick some point in the future um what are the, the the pieces that we have out in the community and where are they where they should they be located with regard to the retail clinics the urgent care centers uh, primary care practices uh, of, a, of a decent size and of course we're seeing a lot of freestanding emergency departments now i think we're as a nation there are over 400 freestanding emergency departments out there now, part of what I would call your ambulatory care network. And I guess, you know, that kind of moves right into that, uh, the other pieces, the medical home um, component. That seems to be a, a big concern for a lot of providers right now. They don't fully understand the medical home model. And what we're trying to remind them of continuously is that's not for everybody. That's just for that 5% of the patient, 5% uh, of the population that's burning 50% of the healthcare dollars out there. If you can get those uh, individuals with their multiple chronic illnesses into a medical home model, highly managed, um, you can really get a lot of bang for your buck. Okay. Uh, I have a different question, kind of a different topic here. What do you see as the challenges faced by hospitals? in their acquisition of primary care and specialty practices and the employment of previously independent physicians. So what do you see as the major liabilities that hospitals take on with this strategy? Well, I have a, um, a nurse consultant friend who uh, made a very good point. Um, I thought we've worked together on a couple of projects, and she's very focused right now on um, changing the practice patterns within the specialty practices. And she points out that there is a huge liability. Um, hospitals 
acquire, let's say, a specialty practice. They, they make a lot of assumptions about the quality of care and what is actually happening in that practice. Um, they don't fully know, and they just assume, well, good quality care is being uh, provided there. I mean, the, even if this surgeon or procedurist has great outstanding um, um, quality measures in the hospital, doesn't mean everything in that practice is, is up to snuff. And so they do need to take a serious look at the care delivery model on any practice they're acquiring because um, they are now uh, liable, legally responsible for the quality of care and the procedures that are going on within that practice. But there's another um, the other thing I'll say about practice acquisition, and I found this to be unfortunately too common. It's a what's required by what's required in administration at the hospital is a paradigm shift that just because you've purchased a practice, you don't own those physicians. Um, you, know, you can say you own the practice, but they are employees. And all too often, I, I've heard, and I guess I, they don't realize they're saying it, but, you know, we own those guys now. No, you don't own those guys. Um, you, you, they are employees of yours, and you have to treat them with respect. And I try and take it to the uh, professional sports team analogy where, hey, you're the coach, and you're, you're highly paid um, athletes or highly paid staff, team members, are going out to play. Um, and that's where the talent is. That's where the money is made. You need to manage them. And, you're, you know, you should be more of the Zen master than, um, than, than the uh, owner of, of, of people. And that's uh, – you would think that's common sense, but uh, it's – it's something I, I run into on a regular basis. That's a really interesting insight. Okay, I have one last question. Uh, and you had mentioned briefly about uh, some of the uh, advertising or market education strategies that hospitals uh, would be employing around the open enrollment period, particularly for the healthcare exchanges. Um, how else uh, do you see uh, the strategy for hospital marketing Changing in 2014 because of the uh, the uh, you know this transition. Another good question. I mean, I'm not a marketing expert, but I can tell you I don't believe. Um, again, from some practical experience, hospital administrators appreciate um, the importance of marketing. They put out nice brochures and um, oh some flyers, but. I believe too many hospital administrators are afraid of the big marketing, um, the billboards, the um, more flashy print material. You know, I know newspapers are on their are dying, but um, there's still a uh, a source of information for some. The radio, the TV ads, um, the magazines. I don't think administrators in general. Um, appreciate the importance of that, and I, I guess I'll, you know, if I was a politician running for office, of course you always say the American people are too smart for that. Well, unfortunately, I don't believe that's true. I think as as a general rule, the American people need to be educated and guided, um, and they certainly can be with some good marketing, quality marketing. Um, I know, for instance, 40% of Americans don't even know the Affordable Care Act is law. And, you know, people have very um, challenging lives and they get involved in the day-to-day. -day. 
and they miss the big picture, which is back to why some good marketing, I think, really would could and would be effective. Um, you know, best I was, I have, I'm on a plane, unfortunately, on a weekly basis, and you know, if you um, page through an airline magazine, I don't think there's one out there now that doesn't have a list. Of the, they'll have several pages dedicated to the best, what they call the best doctors in America, um, and of course, depending on the airline or uh, or the magazine, it's a different set of individuals. And you know, the reality is, who voted for uh, those as the uh, the best doctors in America? Well, probably the other guys on the other pages uh, of the of that list. Because um, right right before or after that section of advertising, they'll have the best steakhouses in America. Um, and fortunately, there's never two in the same town competing. It's just a list of, you know, 10 steakhouses across America who've all gotten together to vote themselves the best steakhouse in America. But I mean, it, it wouldn't, it goes on. I mean, it that started a couple of years ago. And my point being, it must be working. It does generate business. Um, and it's not a dirty uh, a, you know, a, a disgusting, dirty, uh, terrible thing. It's part of uh, American society. Marketing, advertising are wonderful things. Um, and I think they can be very effective. And unfortunately, um, they're not being embraced to the level they could be. Well, Mark, thanks very much for talking with us today. We've been speaking with Mark Sauvé, Senior Healthcare Strategist with Gresham Smith & Partners, and author of This Is Not a Drill, A Real Emergency for American Hospitals, and a Battle Plan for Survival. 